All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Shooting Time Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we have a fourth member of the crew this week. So I got Ryan again and Bill, as always. Hey. And How's it going? Uh, hey, guys. And we got a friend of mine that I've known through Instagram only at this up to now um, from Missouri by the name of Garrett Trentham. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, Trentham. Trent Ham, Trent Thumb. Answer to it all. Oh. <laughs> He's probably had to. Which one, so which one would you would you say? <laughs> I say Trentham. So, I, I almost say it like Garrett the TH on. is silent. Oh, Trentham. Mm. Okay, Trentham. I got it. So that's always embarrassing. And and I'm fine. Usually I'm pretty good with pronunciations, but my last name gets destroyed all the time uh, by pretty much everybody yeah, who I'm doesn't sure relate. I've never said it in front of before. I've, there's about three, three good, good ones that happen, happen there. Um, so anyways, yeah, Garrett's from uh, kind of North central Missouri had him on just to talk about just for another voice. And also just to talk about um, different, a little bit different style hunting that he does. Um, up the, and down in that area, but we'll get to that here later. Um, kind of just do a quick little run through of what everybody's been seeing and and uh, doing and been up here for the last week. And I know one thing that was interesting to see was on the news. On um, I saw it posted all over Facebook was all the stuff about the North Dakota duck hunting and how yeah, people that- are going to be shoulder to shoulder there in that whole business. So, what what did you see? I didn't see anything. I wasn't looking either. But yeah, I saw it on Fox News. It made yeah, it made Fox News. Yeah, um, it was a, a picture of a duck hunter, and it talked about how North Dakota expects to see you know a huge increase in duck hunting and duck hunters, and then um, and then they're going to be shoulder to shoulder. And I didn't read the article. Just I mean, I know what's going to happen, but. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to argue that be. North Dakota's not going to not going to see a lot more guys this year. But I wonder if it pushes them to go to more of a South Dakota setup for non-residents, maybe through a draw after this year, if it does cause issues. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in other episodes, but just with the the amount of pressure that that stick gets, I mean, it's not like it's unbearable. But you know, those first few weeks of that season. They have a lot of people, and I mean, it's not like what it used to be, where you could just go up there and find a feed or a roost or a, a loafing pond with ducks on it, and not have to deal with other people. Um, and for that matter, not even be able to get permission because we used to get permission on everything. And you know what I hear now is that it's significantly different than that. So I, I wouldn't are, be surprised if some of the local folks, you know, at least push for that. I mean, there's a lot of barriers to that from the are, are you talking side, about are you, are you talking about north dakota phil what's that are you talking are you talking about north dakota or south dakota yeah north dakota yeah so bill we were talking about north dakota how the influx of hunters in north dakota is going to and garrett brought up about how it's going to possibly um, push them to want to change to like a south dakota lottery type system for their non-resident duck hunters Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I mean, I wouldn't blame them. Um, you know, there's some got to be some benefits to living kind of in one of the flyover states, and that's a duck hunter. That's one of them. 
I would, I would always say so. But I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of economic issues with that, and especially in a state like that where they've had that system in place for so long, those people are gonna, you know, there's businesses and whatnot set up on duck hunters coming. So it's it'd be a challenge, but you know, I'm I know at this point in time, I'm really glad that South Dakota has got a system like we do. Yeah, I bet you are. Mm-hmm. I would have to think that you know North Dakota. That, uh, you know, a guy could, you know, if he had this set up, you know, he could drag a duck, he could drag a boat up there and, and probably wouldn't have a whole lot of competition as compared to, cause you know, I could be wrong, but my thoughts is, you know, everybody's wanting to, to dry field hunt for, you know, Canada's and snows and, and hopefully pick up some ducks and stuff, you know, um, it's just easier to both. do. So. There's definitely water. There's pressure on the water too up there. I mean, there's just enough people that go there um, from their opening day, which I think for non-residents is like that first weekend in October, and then through through the month of October, they're they're busy enough with both field and and water hunters that, and if you find a little public slough with 500 mallards on it, like you're probably not going to be the only guy there. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to see duck boats driving around. Even you're going to see little duck boats, like little Karstens and little canoes with yeah. Minnesota plates on them. And then you're going to see, um, you're going to see some like big John boats too, for guys out on devils and out on, uh, I can't think of the big lake just North of devils, but, um, you know, you'll see people all over out there. So it's, and it doesn't even matter how far West you get now, or just the whole state gets pressure. So, Really, It'll that's what I was wondering because I was going to have to say, I, I was going to say, you know, if it was me doing it, like the last place that I would look to go would probably be like the Devil's Lake area or, you know, just more of the hotbed areas. You know, I would just try to do my homework and, and find an obscure area that, you know, there's just not going to, you know, that it's probably not overly popular. But yeah, you know, if a guy was going to do it, you, you, go to a spot that doesn't traditionally have water and you look at the precipitation maps for the last few months mm-hmm. and you hope to find a spot that has gotten water and maybe there's not a lot of hotels around that area but you know all these towns have got something yeah um, so i got a friend that lives up kind of in the northwest corner not to like not to the badland stuff but he's got he's a long ways away from any big stuff and he says there's still um, and he's seen it as he, since he moved there probably, oh man, seven years ago, I bet. He's seen it increase, increase just every year to the point where now there's people sleeping in fields and that whole deal that you'd see anywhere else. So, oh my God. It's definitely a different situation, but. Well, Phil, oh, yeah. and, and that's not. And may, <clears throat> Phil, maybe you would know. I know when I was a kid and hunted there more. Well, you and I hunted together out there for yeah. what? season or two couple couple seasons is is the law still in place that if it's not posted that you can hunt it uh it is they tried to change that this past year do you know anything about that garrett did you watch that at all no i didn't i did hear something i don't i don't know if it was in conjunction with that article um that went kind of mainstream but um I heard that a lot more landowners were posting ground this year with under the anticipation that there was going to be a lot more hunters and they just didn't want to deal with it on their properties. You know, yeah. um, it'll, 
it'll change significantly this year, but it's changed. It's been changing over the past years, but they did try to pass. I believe it was last, last year um, where they tried to kind of get rid like change that law to where you didn't have to post something for someone to not be able to hunt on it. Right now, if you're driving around and you see a, a picked wheat field or cornfield with 5,000 mallards landing in it, you can go hunt it tomorrow as long as that thing is not posted. Right. The land the landowner can come out and tell you to leave, but you cannot get a ticket. Right. But right. That is, I mean, I, I mean, you're you're. I, we did it. We used to do it back in the day when like no one truly cared. But even then, like you still are just nervous because you're just like waiting for something to happen. And well, yeah. And water. It, I think it wasn't hunting. as fun. Yeah, and waterfowl hunting is a little bit more invasive in that you're potentially driving vehicles in the field, which I think you're a little bit precluded on that mm-hmm. um, with that law. But setting decoys and you put a ton of work in, whereas you compare it to something like pheasant hunting or turkey hunting where it's pretty minimally invasive. You're just walking out there. If somebody says something, you just turn around, walk back to the truck. It's no different than if you'd been hunting, but mm-hmm. um, yep. it's tough. I mean, I like it from an access perspective. It makes things a lot simpler, right? Because sometimes there's mm-hmm. properties where, well, I mean, we've all run into this, right? Where, you know, if you could just get a hold of that landowner, they'd give you the green light, but for whatever reason you can't, you know, you found it at the bottom of the ninth, right before dark, and you're trying to set something up for the next day. And it's really frustrating, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. Right, right. You might be, you might, you might be an hour from where that guy lives. You might not have cell service, and you, and you have no way to find his cell phone number, even when you do. Or in, so it's tough, and we've had that situation a lot out there. Sometimes, you know, since the laws like that, you're like, oh, we can hunt it, and everything goes well, and we never had the situation where someone came and said we had to leave. But I just didn't like doing it in the first place. I mean, I always like we would do anything we could to find the guy. Just. And I think the encouragement, especially from the state, is to still do that regardless, right? Um, Even if it's not posted, try to get a hold of a landowner, try to get a hold of a farmer and talk with them ahead of time. Um, I think, you know, that's always going to be key. And and that could potentially open up a lot of access for you as well um, down the road if you can build that relationship with whoever that is instead of just going in there below the radar. For sure. Yeah, Yeah. just a little bit of goodwill. Um, Just let the guy know that you care enough to ask to come find him out. You know, exactly. Even when, big, even when we're up, in, even when we're up in Canada, like, you know, if I can't get a hold of somebody or on the phone or talk to them face to face, I'm not just going to go out in their field. You know, I, I, I think it would be perfectly. No, you know, but legal. Canada doesn't have that access law though, right? Like, like yeah. you have to have permission there, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so they do, but, little... but still, out of courtesy, you know, I'm not going to just go in somebody's field without, without. And, you know, and there's been times where, you know, when yeah, we have permission to, let, you know, talk to a lady or something, she'll be like, you know, hell, I don't care. Just do it, you know. But I still have that, you know, it's just I, just nothing that we, we want to be a part of because, you know, my luck if I did do it, you know. Well, just it, you're always looking over your shoulder and you're just worried. And, I mean, has that, ever, has that ever happened to you, Phil, where you were set up and the landowner or farmer came out and gave you the boot? Dude, I've gotten twice I've had it where I got kicked out of a field that I had gotten permission for the last night from the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, told, I think I told the story <laughs> once. The craziest thing in the world. Like once the guy rode out on a horse into our damn field when we were early season goose hunting 
and asked us what we were doing as we're standing around a hundred full bodies. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Fishing. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you last <laughs> night. Craps. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was the craziest thing. He's like, Oh, that was you. Yeah. Well, my wife doesn't like it. It's too loud. Okay. I mean, we we're like a mile from his house. And then I had another one where the guy, I don't know what, cause we drove two trucks into a pick silage field. Like you, you can't hurt that field. And he said we could drive, but I guess I didn't ask about having two vehicles, which I didn't I mean. I now I will always ask, but he thought we were guiding because we had a little like eight foot trailer. He thought we were guiding, and there was three of us hunting. And he thought yeah. like he thought I was guiding these other two guys, and I'm like, no. So yeah, I mean, each time I just so now if I ask permission, I mean, like I don't, I, mean, I could spend five minutes telling the guy the details of what I'm going to do to make sure that I'm covered because. I mean, for one, it just you just feel like a dummy, but it just sucks mm-hmm. too because your hunt is ruined. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, even in the spring when I take photos, like you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm not. I mean, no one cares, and I've never been told no. But I mean, there's spots that I'm like, you know, you're just jonesing to get into because they're absolutely chock full of mallards or or just any kind of all kinds of ducks. And if I can't find the person, like I just won't go, even though I'm not hurting anything. But mm-hmm. You just never know because every time, if you did it, every time that a truck would drive by or slow down or, you know, you hear tires slowing down on the road and you're just nervous and it's just not fun. So, yeah. that, but there's a lot of people who just, who they, they just use that law. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think why um, it's so hard to get permission. North Dakota got so popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because there's a lot of people that are afraid to ask permission. Yeah. And when you can just go up there, especially when you used to be able to actually be able to do it, you could just go and hunt the stuff and not have to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. I think people loved that idea that they could just do that. Yeah. And so yep. that's, I think that's kind of what, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places to hunt this public. And then man, if, that's your, too, and then if that's your angle going up to the prairies and hunting, you're, I think you're missing out on a big part of what makes that part of the world. So cool. Garrett, I agree. Meeting yeah, those people. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all part of it. It's all like, a, you know, it's part of like the whole process is doing that. And I've got some guys, I mean, it's probably been, what's 2020? It's probably, I bet it's been over 15 years since I went to North Dakota, but I bet I could still get on and like the one major landowner that we hunted on their stuff. I bet we could still get on there because he'd remember us and you know, mm-hmm. we treated him right. I always like did everything well and took care of him and um you know that's like you said that's a huge part I mean, we had dinner with them a couple nights and that's all part of the gig so Man, one of the first but, times i went to manitoba this would have been like 2001 2002 you know i went up and asked for permission which i'm not a real social person to begin with but but i do enjoy you know um i mean i'm not intimidated i have no problem calling and asking for permissions to the stuff. But anyways, we went, I went in and I ended up having to call my friends to come in because there was no way we were leaving without getting, uh, without them serving us breakfast, bacon and egg. (laughs) (laughs) You had to twist their arm, I'm sure. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, they just don't, you know, you know, the couple, they were so sweet and nice. They just hadn't, you know, they just don't ever talk to anybody. You know, it's just a chance to talk and, you know, just, they wanted to know where we was all from and more than anything, they just wanted to know why in the hell we would want to go eat them things, kill and eat them. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, why you drove from 
Illinois or Kentucky to yeah, absolutely chase ducks. And they geese. get the biggest kick out of that. Yep. Yeah, you drove oh, how far? Yeah, to yeah. kill those. <laughs> and, yep. and you know the one and, thing. And, one thing that I have always thought is common. I'm like, you know, you're like you got like twenty thousand, you know, mallards in your backyard, and they're like, we do. <laughs> Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, and I, that's just, you know, like in this area, this close to the Mississippi River and all that stuff, like, shit, if you got one mallard in your backyard, you know, somebody's going to know it, you know, if like, but they're just like, oh, well, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Someone's knocking on the door. Yeah. Like, do you want some if we kill them? They're like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. Also, in our side, yeah, occasionally you'll get one. You know, if you could pluck one. If you could pluck one, we would take one. <clears throat> yeah, it's just a different deal, but I think you hit it, Garrett. Like it's such it's a part of it. And like, you know, a lot of folks who we were going I mean, a lot of people who go to North Dakota are from the close, you know, from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. So it's not sure. It's not a huge trek and it's similar to kind of what they hunt now, at least in general. Yeah. But you know, for folks that are coming from way out of the way, I mean, it's a you know, it's like you're in the middle of nowhere and you're on the prairies and you're in the grasslands and you're seeing antelope and you might see a moose mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's a different, a whole different place and it's all kind of part of it. So it's kind of cool, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, see if, if um, something like this has, you know, just bigger ramifications, I guess, than, yeah. than one season. And if they, if they do try to do something off of it, I would have to I'd have to think too, some property owners, um, you know, that might be why they're reluctant and, and not want people to hunt because, you know, people just taking advantage of them going and hunting their stuff without asking, you know, you know, you hear like around here, I mean, we, in South Dakota, even where I'm at, especially in the spring, like in the fall, I'm not in a great enough duck hunting area that, I mean, nobody that travels to South Dakota duck hunts mm-hmm. targets my area. I just. There's a few ducks, but it's not awesome by any means. <clears throat> but in the spring, I mean, like I'm in the mecca of the snow goose world. And when I'm talking to guys um, about trying to hunt, you know, a pond or a slough or whatever in the fall, the amount of stories that I hear about how a snow goose hunter, you know, did this or did that. I mean, that, that happens a fair amount of times <clears throat> and they just get, I just get sick of it. And after it happens a couple of times, they're just like, why do I want to deal with this? When they get, they get nothing out of it. Yeah. Nothing. And out having to let just kind of random, random people be on their spot. So I get it. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's a uh, getting the landowner deal, especially, you know, when you're a place like that, where people are, you know, I'm sure if someone's got a feed of, 10,000 mallards on their spot. They're probably getting their door knocked on for a matter of a few days in a row. Mm-hmm. How many times a day? I mean, I've seen, I've even seen people put signs up like, no, you cannot hunt this such and such field before because, you know, they just are sick of answering the door. Yep. Absolutely. I I asked for permission on the goose hunting spot last year for early goose season. I remember. And when I came up, the landowner was smiling at me and I'm like, well, how many people have asked you about goose hunting was the first thing I said because I kind of knew him, right? So I didn't have to, like, introduce myself. And he said, you're the fourth one tonight. Wow. <laughs> and that's the one thing I always think about with these these landowners. That's why I'm so appreciative of the ones that do say yes because they have nothing to gain. I mean, nothing to gain by saying yes to us. 
yeah, to hunt. And then, you know, this poor guy, that was just, I mean, granted, he had, there were geese on a wheat field right next to a highway. So he knew that he was going to be in for it. But I was the fourth that night, and that was on a weekday night. Yeah, you just can't get away from it. Speaking of that, have you gotten permission for any spots for when I come out there? I expect a pretty good guy to climb. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I'm, I'm working yeah, on it. Yeah, Ryan's coming too. Yeah, we I know Ryan's Ryan. coming. I'm working on it. And I got a few spots picked out, but uh, it's just kind of tough to know right now because the the patterns of the geese, in my opinion, are going to change two times in the next three weeks here. So. I don't want any excuses. This is all a bunch of bullshit. You, you, I want I want a sweet cornfield and a pea field with a backup wheat field ready to go. All right. I'll, well, yeah, I'll, I tell you what, I'll have the fields for you. No, they ought to have 250 geese on oh, each. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. With, with good cover, with good cover, and no yep. chance of anybody short-stopping us from, from the roost to the field. Yep. That's, that's my only expectation. Short, I don't short think that's very high. Too. Short, short walk. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. we can drive in the field, of course. So okay, yeah. I mean, let's go. Yeah, I'm yeah. On so it. me and Ryan, so both me and Ryan are gonna meet at Bill's house for meet up at Bill, stay at Bill's, and hunt around the, my hometown, and the, obviously Bill's for the September early season opener. And I'm just kind of going. We're both just kind of going for something to do and. To get away and do a little easy hunting, and Bill has the the spot we always talk about that we can always fall back on. Um, nice. And I I think I think coming up to it, I don't think I've said anything about having any other spots to hunt that I was happy with it. But now that it's getting closer and I start seeing more geese around, I'm, I kind of want him to go just find me a really good spot. <laughs> <laughs> when does that when does that open the first or? Uh, it won't. Well, what uh, I'm excited about fifth. this? Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm excited about this year. It's not till the fifth, and just I don't know. That means we get to hunt a little later in September until the split. So, so do y'all start? Do you think you start picking up some migrators at the end of that? Or, um, Beginning. yeah. I mean, I uh, we we well put it this way. I had a really good migrator shoot a couple of years ago on September third. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And then we had a podcast yeah, we, a long time ago with Ryan Askren. And Phil, do you remember, didn't he say they start moving as soon as August? Uh, I don't remember the details, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, if the weather's right, that, that they do. Yeah, I, sh- I don't mean yeah. August 1st, but they move as soon as last no. August. Yeah, the end of the, I'm, I'm sure here in the next few weeks, if you start the next two weeks, if you see cool temps and that wind, right, you'll have a little bit of movement. Mm-hmm. We had some. We had some. Was that last night? We had north wind, and it got down to like forty three degrees here, and uh, I, mm-hmm, like really, uh, maybe not not forty three. It's like forty five, forty. I don't know. It was in the forties. Did you, we'll did you say that was last night, Bill? Last night, yeah, yeah. We got a good push of teal overnight. I went out and scouted this morning at daylight. Really, and, mm, I was that's yeah. So, cool. so I actually saw the first migrator flock of teal here in Missouri on July 28th, and that's as early as I've ever seen migrators here. We get, you'll see a pair, maybe a family group that that net, that just happened to nest here in Missouri during the summer, but yep. this was like 15 to 20 of them balling around, stopping. As soon as they hit the water, they'd start feeding. I mean, they were definitely new new ducks. And then, I mean, we're we're seeing. So I, I went this morning, and um, there was huntable numbers in the marsh, and 
uh, probably 15 or 20 green wings mixed in, which is wow. way earlier than we see green wings. Oh, uh, there were shovelers out there. So, but when I walked out of the door this morning, that north wind hit me and it was like, mm-hmm, there's going to be some new ducks around. So, yeah, that's cool. Cause yeah, it did. It got and last wild. night was one of the coldest nights. Last night was one of the coldest nights we've had since spring. And I was kind of a night owl last night. I stayed up late. So I was out at midnight and I sat outside for a while just trying to listen for honks. Because when they're moving good, they move at in the middle of the night heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I didn't hear any last night. That doesn't mean they didn't move. But what I'm getting at is I'm starting to anticipate that it could it could happen pretty soon here. Yeah. That's cool. I, I love this uh, time of year. That, yeah, I do too. I, noticed I love that you see teal. Because like like I can't tell when teal show up or leave because we just have them. Yeah, but I love that. Like you can notice that they're new to your area, just like that. And the middle of stinking August, that's cool. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I saw. I guess it was probably two days ago on Instagram or Facebook where Gros Savon down in you know Lake Charles, Louisiana, posted their posted a little video of their first group of teal migrants for the year. So that was a nice little lot of them too. Yeah, it was. I drilled over that. I watched it about seven times. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I don't have, I don't follow them. I should yeah. check them out. That's Gros Savon. G R O S N C. Yeah, then S A V A N N E, I believe. So, real nice I'm place. Check them out later. Yeah, I'll check them out later. Yeah, they're down on the yeah. Gulf Coast, like Southwest Louisiana area. Yeah, man, I mean, that's as far as you can get till you make the big jump. That's crazy if they go that far this soon. Yeah, I mean, just and the, the what always surprises me is, you know they were probably the last to get back at their breeding grounds in May, you know, so it's oh, for like, sure. you know, so it's just odd. Like, you know, you know, they don't like to stay in one they don't place stick around long. very long. Huh. That's so cool. So you were, you're bringing up, um, the marsh. What? So there's like, I mean, Missouri has got so many different hunting options. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that, God, I've known this since the early two thousands, is that Missouri has one of the craziest and best um, public land systems to to offer opportunities? I would say. Um, I turkey hunted somewhere north, north central. I'm not going to say the exact spot, but a pretty good sized public piece up there, and we could go there and shoot turkeys. I mean, it wasn't like not like we would kill our four every time, but we'd kill a couple on every trip for a couple of us. And have interactions. I mean, that was in the most hunted state in the country. And we could still go hunt public and have opportunities. And then later I learned about like all the duck stuff. And I mean, there's pluses and there's people who will complain about it. And especially further down the flyway. And there's, um, you know, different ways to look at it. But I mean, in terms of opportunities for hunting, Missouri's got a pretty cool setup. I've always thought. Yeah. They're really like, good. so what's the new market? So, like that marsh you're talking about, is that like a is a natural, man-made? Is it what's the deal? Uh, so, the one I was looking at today in specific is a moist soil unit on a publicly accessible conservation area. So, it's not one of the areas that does the daily draw during duck season. Even the ones that do daily draw during okay. duck season are pretty well open during teal season. Uh, there's a couple of them that are. Uh, more popular that'll do a draw maybe opening day at teal season and then there's enough yeah. hunters that there's not uh, you know there's not enough conflict to necessitate a draw on a daily basis but with COVID this year all the conservation areas during teal season are just going to be first come first serve um, hmm. but it's basically this marsh in particular um, is basically 
old ag that the state bought probably, uh, I think this area was bought in the 90s after the big flood. Um, they've gone in and done some levee work, put some water control structures in where they can manipulate the water on an annual basis. Um, so it's primarily smart weed uh, growing in the unit. They've got boards in now, and they had a big flood event a couple of weeks ago that so trapped all that water. Um, but That's what's different. I mean, if you, I feel like if you get north of Missouri, you just don't see anything. Like no state, the, no state controls the water like that. And so that's what right. – seems so interesting for me being up here is like the fact that the state does that. I mean, our, the only places that we have any control over the water is on the Missouri river and they take less than zero consideration for duck hunters. And yeah. uh, in that, you know how that's managed. I mean, in fact, it seems mm-hmm. like it goes like the worst that it could be most years for me. Um, right. So I think, I think it's cool how that, so that how in Missouri specifically that. back, like, uh, I guess it was 40, 50 years ago, they passed a state constitutional resolution that gave an eighth of 1% sales tax to the Missouri department of conservation, which is kind of our fishing game. Mm-hmm. So they're flush with cash on a year to year basis. And I, I think we all know, you know, waterfowl habitat management is extremely expensive. Uh, but that mm-hmm. state sales tax gives them the leverage to be able to go in and put in water control structures. And then beyond that, I think a lot of states have that. But what Missouri has is the ability to pay people on an annual basis to manage that ground actively. And I think that uh, is what really trips the trigger when it comes to having really good quality um, waterfowl hunting on public ground. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, judging off of what you seem to shoot and your buddies, it seems like things are good. And I've done a little bit of duck hunting a few years a couple years worth in uh waterfowl in missouri and and i've always had good luck there and you know, a lot of it's timing and being able to be flexible but sure um, i just like i just like the opportunities because you've got you know you've got big reservoir you've got small walk-ins you've got what's well, kind of this thing one of the reasons so one of the reasons i wanted I've, how i think i first even noticed um garrett on instagram was um, just seeing pictures of you all the time. Well, probably with Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I followed him. Um, but they these guys run these little low-profile boats and hunt these public, shallow water, moist soil things. Um, and one of the things I appreciate about so much is like the attention to hiding that you guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you have to in those scenarios because, I mean, I'll tell us the cover, like 12 inches, 18 inches maybe. Exactly. Yep. Some of these, so some of these units just for reference will be several thousand acres. And aside from a spare, you know, willow tree growing up in it along the sloughs every couple hundred yards, almost all the cover will be from knee high down. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, when we get new birds, when we pick up migrations, you can go out there and you can put a big boat rig up against a couple willows or maybe cut a couple willows down and put the boat rig where the birds want to be and stick those willows around you and make it look like a natural clump. And you can, you can have, you know, exceptionally good hunts like that. But um, to consistently kill birds the whole season, you've got to be able to get out there and hide where they've been feeding. Um, and those big unnatural clumps that weren't there the day before just don't cut it anymore. Um, and these, you know, we call them layout boats. I get a kick out of it. The guys out in the Great Lakes and stuff get get all bent out of shape when we when we call a call a marsh style <laughs> sneak boat a layout boat, you know. But we call them layouts because you lay out in them just like a layout blind, right? Um, it's just like a layout blind except it's a boat. It's got doors that work the same way. Um, we, you know, a lot of them have small mud motors or trolling motors on the back. 
Um, and it just gives us the ability to get us and our gear out into the marsh and then get hid completely. And I think, you know, um, I think that's one thing that can really kind of separate the men from the boys when it comes to hunting out of layout boats is how much effort you go through to get hidden. Um, you know, you see some guys that, and some guys think that brushing them sparkly tends, tends to work better, but yeah, um, getting out there with hedge trimmers and cutting brush and getting it completely hid can really, uh, make or break the hunt for sure. You run out of like a, you can expand that to any of your hunting for that matter. I was saying, Garrett, do you hunt out of like a four? Well, they river run those. Uh, count, they run the county line boats because that's gotcha. like one of your best friends, right? I assume Andy is. Yeah, so I met Andy. I met Andy after I took this job over here. Uh, we met at a little trade show, um, and I've so I grew up actually um, kind of in the mid south, just south of Nashville, um, and we hunted, you know, Camden Bottoms and Big Sandy, and um, hunted some TVA lakes and stuff, but. I've got family in Missouri. And so when, anytime we take a trip, we'd come up and hunt Southeast Missouri or uh, Southern Illinois. And that's kind of where I got exposed to the layout boats. Um, and I bought one when I was, I bought a Momarsh uh, dual purpose layout boat when I was like in middle school with money I'd made cutting grass and stuff and started mm-hmm. killing ducks out of it and really enjoyed it. Um, and so when I moved back out here, I had that Momarsh and was hunting it out of the bed of my truck. And I ran into Andy and he's got these, um, uh, it's basically a, a layout boat, but it's custom welded aluminum. Um, and so he started showing me his boats. I mean, they're slick. You, you can go look them up on Instagram. I think it's just at County line boats. Um, mm-hmm. you can customize them however you want. And I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm six, six and I flutter back and forth around 300 pounds, depending on what time of year it is. Um, and that Momarsh, <laughs> I can fit in it, but I don't know if you'd call it comfortable. Right. Um, and so some of his boats are big enough. I think I've got like a 1344 um, and I can fit in there comfortably with all my blind bag, with my gun. I'm not cramped. Um, and they're, they're kind of the cat's ass of layout boats. It's one of those things that, you know, a lot of guys come up to me and ask me if they should buy one. And I think if, I think if you're only going to hunt out of a layout boat a couple times a year, it's, it may not be worth the cost, right? Cause it is a custom American made mm-hmm. product. They've got a price tag on them, but if that's kind of your groove and that's your style of hunting, there's not a better boat out there. So my specific rig I've got now is a, is a County line. And then I've still got my Mo Marsh and I've got kind of a double decker trailer that I pull behind the truck. Um, and so I can use that Mo Marsh. If I've got an extra guy with me, I just tow it behind or some days if we're hunting like a flight day and we really want to put out, you know, a couple hundred floaters or something like that, I can fill that Mo Marsh up with uh, other decoys and kind of use it as a sled almost and tow it behind us. That's but, got, yeah. I'm looking at it. That's gotta be a fun setup to have a, 100 200 decoys out in that kind of scenario where you can kind of put them all around you i assume and yeah and you're, and you're so hidden that mm-hmm. they're just going to finish wherever that would mm-hmm. that'd be a fun that'd be a fun gig man i'm looking at those yeah, boats, sweet. Man, those uh, i mean ryan well ryan and bill both yeah they're awesome like yeah, i those are i don't slick. the weird things we i thought we had a use for that low profile kind of stuff here in south dakota but we don't not yeah. as much so that's as the I, thing. I wish we did it's not an everywhere boat, right? It's, it really no, isn't. And even like, uh, so we hunt quite a few cattail marshes out in Kansas, especially early in the year. And I mm-hmm. don't hunt out of the boat when we're out there. If you've got any kind of vertical cover, um, it's, it's going to be easier and it's probably going to be more productive to 
hunker down in that cover on some level, either with a boat or on a stool or something. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you think about it, you push that boat into some cattails, it, it feels like you're looking down a hallway because you, your your head's 18 inches above the water. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, um, they kind of have their niche for sure. Yeah. I had made, oh, this is a few years back, I made a little low-profile boat. Um, but I turned mine, I sat sideways in. And so you, but, and you kind of sat like leaned, sat up against the back. So it was taller than what you have, but still mm-hmm. pretty low. And, and I had the same thing. Like I thought it was going to be so awesome, but man, of course, then the cover grew back up that next year. And like everywhere I went, I had to like, I had to trim all the cover down in front anyway. So I basically defeated the purpose of having this low profile boat and I never hardly used the dang thing. So I sold it. I actually, I just, I repurposed it. Um, or that last year and made it kind of into a higher blind again. Yep. <clears throat> but if we had, if we had like smart weed, uh, if we had that stuff on the regular, I, I would without a doubt have one. Cause you can just disappear in that stuff, drape it over you. And, mm-hmm. Oh, no. Okay. And yeah, I like, I, I'll get it brushed to the point where if you shut the doors and walk away from it, you got to go kicking around for it again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's, that's kind of the litmus test. Like, you don't notice a difference in them until you get literally that brushed in. And then it's just like I a light switch gets flipped. Some of those photos that you've put up, it's like, I just, I, lo- I can sit and look at that for minutes, just looking at how hidden those are. Cause like, I mean, well, both Brian and Bill have hung with me enough to know that I, I spend a ton of time probably extra on hiding versus what we need to. But like when it pays off and you have those suckers flutter and it like 10 yards, I mean, it's totally worth it to spend that few minutes. And I had a guy ask me today what kind of tool that I use to hide my boats and that I thought was important. And I'm like, man, you need a hedge trimmer. Like, it's so mm-hmm. worth I mean, that $80 yeah. is so worth the money. I'm so, looking at Garrett's picture yeah, right I now on that. his Instagram. And, man, that's a, you know, the one where you got your coot decoys out there. That is, mm-hmm. man, that boat looks slick, brother. <laughs> yeah. That was one of those haunts. We'd been we'd been shooting those ducks on a public marsh for several days in a row, and we'd come back home, and um, I had to come back from eating, and then I had a couple days free, and I ran back out there by myself, and they were they were getting really funny, and I just took that hedge trimmer, and I was like, I'm gonna pile a six foot pile of cattails on top of this boat before I hunt, you know, like I'm just going to go to town. And I did, and I I got it brushed in. I got it pushed up in there and got it set. I had a couple ducks looking at me while I was setting up. I kept taking my time and I got in there and I, I literally couldn't see out of it, but I'd be sitting in there and you could hear the rush of wings and you could hear those gadwall just, and I'd start calling. And about time I heard the wings fluttering, and then you'd hear a little bit of splashing. I'd come up out of there and they'd be, it was like jump shooting them out of the decoys, basically. You know, um, I killed a couple of widget and a couple of gadwall. Oh, yeah. That was a, that was a heck of a hunt. I was, I was proud of myself afterwards. That's for sure. Yeah. Guaranteed. When you're landing gadwalls, you know, you're doing it right. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because they, yeah. I love mallards. I'd like to think they're smart. The gadwalls take the cake in the flighty factor. So yeah. And things are weird. Duck, that's but, for sure. Yep. If the if the, one of the decoys is pointing the wrong direction, those things are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. So for those who don't know, um, these boats are like a like imagine a layout line with with like a they look just like a finisher or like an old eliminator, something like that, and they just have like a regular frame. That the door pops up, and you grasp those two, and you just keep your head poked out the little hole. 
um, I mean, it seems like most guys have a little surface drive of some sort on, or a, a mud motor of some sort and kind of push around all the shallow water. And I, I'm jealous of having that type of stuff. I mean, I'm glad that we have regular public stuff to hunt, um, but it's just way, way different scenario than what you guys have. And I, I do like that where you, how you said that the, the, where you separate the men from the boys is how much time you're spending on your blind and hiding. And I don't think that gets enough. I don't think that gets enough credit in terms of why birds don't finish. Yeah. And and I, I think that's something we, we run into. And that's something you guys discuss a lot on this podcast is you kind of dance around this uh, um, need versus want when it comes to all the extra details and calling or camouflage or decoys and, to me, yep. it boils down to controllable variables, right? Um, it's it's hard for me to truly enjoy a waterfowl hunt to its fullest potentials if I haven't maximized my controllable variables, right? Mm-hmm. And especially over here, you know, you ask any any veteran duck hunter what's the what's the key to killing ducks, and it's it's like real estate. It's location, location, location. Well, mm-hmm. when you get um, especially here in Missouri and Kansas, we're hunting a lot of refuge ducks, and so the X is out of the question, right? Because the X is on that refuge yeah. a quarter mile away. Yeah. Yep. And so you're kind of trafficking birds into an area that it'd be like hunting a traffic field that's been pounded on every day of the season, right? Yeah. And so when that's the case, I do think those controllable variables can really decide a hunt. Whereas if you're where they want to be, it probably doesn't matter as much. Um, and I think no, that's something definitely. that a lot of newer hunters uh, struggle with understanding. And it's something that you just kind of got to, uh, gain experience with over the over the years but yeah you just the more you do it the more you're going to learn well the and, thing the thing i heard that garrett said that i loved so much is you said you were setting up for a hunt and you had a few ducks looking at you but you you proceeded to conceal more and that's the one thing i can't say enough and like when i've been with groups i've been yelled at like bill it's good enough there are ducks trying to come in right now and you got to ignore those ones or twos or the ones trying to come in if you haven't completed your camo yet. Mm-hmm. Like, like it sucks, right? There's ducks right here and their wings are set, but they're going to flare, guys. Like they're going to if we don't finish what we want to accomplish here. And I like hearing you say that you had ducks setting up on you, but you still took the time to keep trying to perfect your hide. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to kill those ducks more than I do, but I just, (laughs) I know once it gets to a certain point, you can jump in the boat and you can maybe kill one or two, but you're going to watch 80% of them get to about 50, 60 yards and lose interest. And I just, it, it doesn't ruin the hunt for me, but it's, uh, it's frustrating. That's for sure to watch that and watch that and watch that. It's that quality of the hunt is so much better. Like, I mean, you're always going to have some bird slide no matter what, but when like, when you have way less do that, if you, you know, if 80% of your birds come in and finish and then you shoot them all, all proper, I mean, how much better does that feel about like, you know, you did what you're supposed to do as good as you could possibly do it. Yeah. I just, that adds, that takes it from a, an eight hunt of shooting the limit to a nine and a half of shooting the limit. Yeah. I always look yeah. at it as, you know, with all, with all the money we spend at this game and, and as passionate as we are about it, like, you know, I'm not going to do anything half-ass. <laughs> You know, right. you know, whatever you can do yeah, to maxim- maximize your potential, like there's no point in spending all the money and going out there. And, and it's not like, you know, um, you know, get natural vegetation and, or, or brush or whatever is costing you any extra money. 
you know, just get out there and and get it. You're not spending any money. Just take the extra, you know. Shit, man. There's times I'd pay money to have extra vegetation. (laughs) If if I could. I guess I'm just saying it's one of those variables of hunting that, you know, like as expensive as hunting is, like that's not one of them. Yeah. No, no. Time. It's just time and effort. It's just time. It's just time and effort. I think it just gets, I think what it is, a lot of it just gets overlooked is because people just don't, I mean, I mean, what, I mean, where are the, where are the main sources of duck hunting information coming from? They come from brands. Yeah. Well, other than the camouflage brands, you know, you don't talk about concealment. I mean, you know, I work for Avery. We make, we make layout blinds, but, but like when it comes to duck hunting, you know, the emphasis isn't put on, disappearing and the, all the extra details it comes it, it's in all the other stuff um so you know when you hear people talk about why things flare it's always oh if i had better decoys or oh if i was a better caller i'm like no that bigger calling wasn't going to stop them from flaring that's not why they flared it's not why they didn't come in so right and i think a lot of that you just can't you can't substitute experience for because it takes an incredible amount of restraint to not jump in the boat and try to kill those ducks that were working right mm-hmm. it's, it takes doing that and not killing ducks for another hour and a half and experiencing that probably a hundred times before yeah. you build up the discipline to say nope ain't gonna do it i'm gonna keep cutting brush you know yeah. and, and so if anything i think um you know what what, what somebody that's new or somebody that, that that doesn't fully comprehend that is just give it a shot right? Try it out next time you go hunt and see if you enjoy that more, right? Spend the extra time. Yeah. Maybe you miss out on a couple birds at first light or right when you first pull up there, but. Or wake uh, up 10 minutes earlier. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yep. 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 That was the one switch I've made the last few years is I've just always decided I'm just getting up earlier just to have it all done. I'm going to get up and be done and not fight that battle because yeah, that 10 or 15 minutes isn't going to kill me in the end but missing but missing those first birds because we weren't ready does drive me crazy mm-hmm. but i want i want i want to be hidden at the same time and have it all done yeah so yeah it's it's all worth it that's all a big i mean to me hiding is like the biggest part of the whole deal and you guys yeah. kind of you guys are kind of masters of it in that little world down there so i dig that yeah um, and that's another that's another thing we run into um, out here is that we, and I guess it's got a lot to do with the way the um, the public ground access is managed and how the ground itself is managed. But um, and with and with as much as I travel around with work and hunt different areas, but you know I I may so let's say I'm hunting a marsh in Kansas. It's a public marsh out in Kansas, and I haven't been there in a month, or it's the first time I've hunted it this year. I'm not barging in there at four o'clock in the morning to go set up 75 duck decoys and brush my boat in when I have no idea where the birds are wanting to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my duck hunts start at seven 30 in the morning with me pulling up to a vantage point with a pair of binoculars and just watching for a little while. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'll see where the ducks are wanting to feed. And it, it's the same thing in Missouri, you know, these moist soil units, um, and even the ag units that are flooded, they, they raise that water throughout the season to release new food and to give ducks new food as we get new migrants in. Otherwise, if you flood it to full pool before the first week of season, yeah, yeah. you're going to have 100,000 ducks in there, but you're not going to have any food in two weeks. 
And then all the rest of the ducks that come throughout the rest of the season are just going to bounce on through or they're going to go to the private ground that is managed properly. So mm-hmm. um, that being said, you know, I could go hunt a pool um, at a conservation area and then two weeks later come back and the ducks are going to want to be 300 yards away from there. Right. And so we may get there at daylight and just watch for the first 45 minutes and see where those ducks are wanting to be and then go in and set up. Well, when you do that, you've undoubtedly got birds trying to work in there while you're setting up. There's just nothing you can do about it. It's just part of the hunt, you know, and, and you get that knee jerk reaction, especially if I've got guys from out of town, like, hurry up, hurry up, get your gun loaded. Blah, blah. And it's like, this, we're going to kill our birds. Let's just take our time. Let's get it right. That way we can shoot them right here in the decoys and we're not taking pop shots and we can uh, really get squared up on you end up killing your ducks quicker that way anyways. So um, it's a discipline. And I, and I think, like I said, it's just something you gotta, you gotta try it out a couple times and get frustrated and it is what it is, but. No, I dig that. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I even mentioned, you kind of talked about traveling for your job, but, um, what, what exactly is it? So I'm the uh, regional director for Delta Waterfowl for Missouri and Kansas. So I cover all of Missouri and Kansas. Um, And that basically entails me working with our local fundraising chapters across those two states to support them with their annual event fundraising. And then, you know, our chapters get to keep um, a portion of the money they raise to spend locally in what we call a waterfowl heritage fund. Um, So I'll help them out with executing those waterfowl heritage fund projects. If it's a hunter recruitment event or, opening up additional access for duck hunters or duck production, you know, putting out wood duck boxes or goose nest bins or something like that. You know, I support them on those projects as well, but um, it definitely keeps me on my toes, especially as we get into event season in the early fall. And then again, late in the uh, late winter and early spring, Um, I've got banquets pretty much every weekend, sometimes two and three a week. So it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of back and forth. Well, there's a lot that goes into those banquets. I know that here in South Dakota, we just had, uh, our the first Delta banquet, the first of any banquets I know of, um, was in Sioux Falls mm-hmm. a week a week ago, a week or two ago. I stopped by. I had a couple of prints that I donated. Mm-hmm. I just stopped to say hi and buy, renew my membership, and uh, it was a good turnout. And um, some of the, like things went well, so it's kind of good to see that. And after what things were, I'm sure that was kind of a chaotic situation for you guys, and kind of had your hands tied in terms of what you could and couldn't do. For sure. Yeah. I think this COVID stuff kind of across the board for nonprofits has been a major hit, um, especially those in our sector and the conservation fundraising stuff uh, with these gathering restrictions and mask mandates and things of that nature. But um, it's really cool to see those those chapters jump those hurdles, and these passionate volunteers find ways to make it work. You know, if it's through online event fundraising or running extra raffles. Um, things of that nature, you know, if they're not able to host a traditional fundraising event, they don't just throw their hands up in there and walk away from it. Right. They're duck hunters. That's not what we do. So, mm-hmm. um, they buckle down and find innovative ways to continue to reach their goals. And it's been, it's been a really cool experience. And I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, but, uh, things are looking better. We had our first banquet in my region over the weekend over in El Dorado, Kansas, and they knocked it out of the park. We had probably 115, 120 people there in that small town come out for a banquet and, uh, raised a bunch of money for waterfowl conservation and everybody was happy and it was good to see everybody kind of fellowshipping and smiling and talking to everybody face to face. I don't think that's happened in a while for a lot of us. So it was good. Well, that, that was one thing I was going to mention is that it's, there's two things. Um, one, since part of my job is to work with conservation groups and some of the individual chapters, um, 
you know, our, obviously our donation structure changed a little bit during some of this just because of uncertainties and what's going on. But um, we did still work with a lot of groups and I had a, a lot of people reach out and that we helped set up like online type stuff um, for various DU or Delta chapters. But then um, I was also wondering, do you think that that's going to change? I mean, cause like, you know, all the outdoor groups, um, when you, when they're trying to fundraise with the general population, I guess you'd say, and not going after the, the big, big donors. Um, it's all in that banquet type framework, but do you think that this is going to maybe change some of the emphasis of that a little bit? <clears throat> For ahead. sure. And that's one thing, that's one thing I was talking about with our teams going into this COVID thing is, you know, there's going to be, you know, back in the spring, we were talking about this. There's going to be methods of fundraising that we're going to necessity is the mother of invention, right? So there's going to be ways of fundraising that we're going to find working through this COVID thing that we could have been doing for the past 20 years. And we're going to be beating our head against mm-hmm. the table saying, why didn't we do this earlier? Right. And I think the online fundraising is part of that. Specifically, like you look at some of these bigger events, we've got the option to uh, run a live event with people there, run raffles and games and a live auction, but then run your silent auction online. And allow people to bid that aren't even at the banquet, right? And it's really okay. um, we were doing some of that before, but this is this COVID stuff has really opened our eyes to the potential there um, in that regard. So just things like that, I think we're going to find along the way and say, hey, this is great. We need to keep doing this even after we can have live events. It's tough to beat the in-person peer pressure and the beer pressure, like we like to call mm-hmm. it, you know, of uh, a banquet. Yeah. And that's and that's what everybody enjoys, right? But um, yeah. Some of those they're online avenues. Yeah, yeah. But and some of those online than, avenues. You know, for the folks who are it's, it's, an, it's a social event. Yeah, because there's people yeah. who are going to want to do do both. Um, so, yeah, I just was curious if, I mean, obviously, not like I was, the, there's a, enough people who have have saw that and thought that they expected it would be something that carried on. So, kind of cool to just to see that transition kind of happen. I mean, if you're on any, if you're friends with anybody that's in any groups on Facebook, you've seen a bunch of that stuff get shared around and um, seems to be like everything I've seen all, all everything that they put out sells out almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So you're opening yourself up to a way bigger audience. And a lot of people just don't necessarily want to go to the banquets. And um, so, you know, when you give them the chance to support stuff online by just clicking a button, I mean, that's an easy way for that stuff to work. So Absolutely. Um, yep. One thing, you know, you're talking about like that heritage fund. What, um, like, what? I mean, DU is obviously the most well-known waterfall conservation thing. Um, sure. But so, what? What does? How does Delta differ? Would you say from there, and how would they? You know, how would they compare, and how would they be different? Yeah. So, Stuxnet yeah, Limited is a wide-ranging question, but the quick yeah. version of it maybe sure so so ducks unlimited is wetlands is probably the premier wetlands conservation organization and that's that's their main focus is creating more wetlands um it's a very you know that's a that's a incredibly important cause they do an incredible job at that um and and they're a great organization you know we don't I don't have a ton of tolerance for people bad mouthing Ducks Unlimited or really any other conservation group that's putting forward programmatic work that benefits us um, as hunters and as humans on this earth. Right. Um, and I, and I think you see that across the board, but um, Delta Waterfowl, on the other hand, we've kind of branded ourselves as the duck hunters organization. So 
Um, we support waterfowl hunters by producing ducks and securing the future of waterfowl hunting. Um, that's kind of what our mission is. So uh, producing ducks, we do that through active management practices like predator management, through hen houses up on the prairies. Um, we also do a ton of habitat works. Ours isn't a direct habitat, like we don't go in and uh, directly do it, but we create public policy that benefits specifically nesting waterfowl. Um, so programs like Working Wetlands here in the U.S. and the GROW program up in Manitoba that are voluntary incentive-based programs that help farmers conserve these small seasonal wetlands that are so incredibly vital to producing ducks on an annual basis. Um, and those are funded entirely by uh, the respective governments in those areas because, um, you know, these wetlands are beneficial to everybody in those communities through flood control, through filtration of the waters, recharging aquifers, carbon sequestration. I mean, the list goes on and on, the benefits of wetlands. That's, that's nothing new to us as duck hunters, right? Um, and then we also defend hunters and produce hunters through our Hunter 3 program, which is kind of an R3 recruit, retain, reactivate program geared at waterfowl hunters. That's delivered a lot by our chapters through mentorship and first hunt programs. And then our defend the hunt program where Delta Waterfowl goes out and advocates on behalf of duck hunters. Um, anytime there's, um, you know, blockages to public access or if there's illogical regulations that may be contributing to keeping people out of the field, Delta is the voice of the duck hunters on a local and national scale in that regard. Um, so that, that's kind of that's kind of 30,000 foot view of what we do. And I would encourage you, you know, we've got a great website, deltawaterfowl.org. If you got any questions about that, go on there. There's breakdowns and more information on all those or look me up on social media, shoot me a message and I can talk waterfowl conservation until the cows come home. So <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I love the that between the two organizations, we've got everything covered from keeping places for ducks to live and breed to making that more productive, to keeping hunters in the game. And we all know that without hunters, I mean, the, the duck situation would, would be entirely different than it is right now. Right. Which, I think that's probably, something there, there wouldn't be as many people who cared. Right. That's the whole, that's the whole idea behind it. So. Yeah, that's that whole North American model where consumptive yep. users drive the conservation. And, you know, it's 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 pretty straightforward. It's 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 common sense to us. But to a lot of people, um, especially outside of the hunting world, you know, the idea that somebody that would like to go out and shoot and kill this animal also wants to conserve it for future generations is a seems a bit of an oxymoron on the surface. But we all understand that well that, you know, ducks and duck hunters have a symbiotic relationship and each one needs the other. So if we lose duck hunters, we're going to lose ducks without a doubt. And if we lose ducks, we're going to lose duck hunters. So um, yeah. you got to kind of you burn the camera. Yeah. Very well. You know, I think it. I think that's interesting because I I don't get nearly as much of it as I expected through my Instagram page of like the the anti hunter hate. I don't get a lot of it, and I think it's because of I don't post a lot of like dead ducks and that kind of stuff. But I do right. get a little, and it's interesting that. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty calm and I'll talk to people and I understand why I understand why people don't want you to kill something. Um, and so I'll talk to those people and I think they expect that we like hate ducks. Right. And I think they're surprised. They're, they're surprised when you can, you know, when you express your emotions and your feelings for the whole situation and seeing birds and having them work and interacting with them. And they're surprised by that. Like they think that you hate them. And, and I think that makes a lot of people think twice. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's fun just to be able to, to maybe change some minds in that respect and, and add those people to, 
maybe turn them from a anti-hunter to maybe just at least neutral so they understand some of it. Yeah, I had some experience. I had a little experience a couple of years ago at um, Kentucky Lake. Everything was froze over and we were diver hunting. And, and I come in and there's these, you know, two ladies there and they got their tripod with their you know, big binocular or their mm, cameras. camera on there or whatever, you know, and they was looking for eagles and, and, you know, and they were like, you know, and here we are pulling the boat out all in camo and, you know, you get the question, you know, what are y'all doing? <laughs> You know, mm. um, not looking for eagles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, like, so I told her what we were doing and she was just kind of like, oh, well, whatever. You know, obviously you could tell they were, you know, um, pretty far left, you know, um, probably not big not, hunting. Not pro hunting. Exactly. So anyway, I went and got a golden eye drake out of the boat and showed it to her and completely described like, you know, everything that I could possibly tell her about a gold. And like, so, I mean, she was able to see that, like I was passionate about that bird that I had taken its life mm-hmm. and was able to explain to her. And I think a lot of people, like if you would just, you know, I mean, you're going to get a lot farther if you would just take the time to do that stuff. But you know, the, but when you do, when you do silly stuff, like drive around with, you know, a dead deer head on your, on your hood of your truck mm, and hanging over stuff the back. like, that. like yeah. you know, you throw it in their face and stuff, you know, we're not going to get any support from that, but no, um, you're just turning that off. Exactly. It's a lot easier to tell people F off and say, I can do what I want than it is to actually engage with them and discuss yeah. it. So, I mean, and, but, I mean, we had a similar um, deal last year or two years ago, elk hunting or deer hunting. We ran into two, two middle-aged ladies that were together um, and they were hiking in some like backcountry stuff. And we spent, me and my friend spent, I bet 15 minutes describing the hunt and you know, how we care for the meat and all that kind of stuff. And when, and I don't know if they were maybe weren't anti-hunting, but you know, they're at the very least very inquisitive about it. And they had some preconceived notions. And when we left them, you know, see you later, have a good hike. I mean, they were, I think they were at least, you know, I, I don't think they would have voted against hunting in a, in most situations. So yeah, absolutely. Do a lot. Yeah, I agree. And that's something that, you know, you guys are probably especially good at is making that uh, emotional connection that we share as waterfowl hunters with this, with this bird and, and being able to verbalize that. Um, and that's something that I think is tough for a lot of duck hunters. You know, that's a, that's a gift that not everybody has, but one yeah. thing I've found that a lot of people can relate back to, and it's an easy kind of pragmatic way to approach it, is is compare it to any other livestock farmer, right? Like a beef cattle farmer doesn't hate his cows, right? He treats them with mm-hmm. the utmost respect. He makes sure that they have places to eat, places to take shelter. Um, and in turn, those beef cattle, absolutely, they get killed and they end up on a table. But that doesn't come from any any place of hatred. And and we as yeah. we as consumptive users do the same thing with these uh, species. You know, we we care about the species. We we provide them with the habitat that they need to be most productive, and we spend an incredible amount of money on that on a year to year basis. All consumptive users do just through excise taxes and license fees. So um, I think that's something that a lot of people can digest because most of them, while they're shouting their anti-hunting remarks, they're, they're spitting out the burger that they ate five minutes ago, you know, Um, and they don't realize how hypocritical that is. Yeah, It's just such a, it's just such a, I mean, it's just like everything right now. It's so, it's so hypercharged, but, I mean, there's, I think things like, 
I think there's more opportunities now to to dialogue with those people and you know some people who just won't hear it no matter what. But I think a lot of people and and those aren't the ones that I think that we're even would ever be after. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, because there's you know it, it'd be like trying to convince me that you you, know, you shouldn't duck on. Well, I'm probably pretty inconvincible of that. But <laughs> you know, there's people that are in the middle that you know they can at least be swayed to be have a more positive outlook on it so yeah definitely that's kind of you know like these two ladies you know i was just as interested in in understanding what they found interesting and enjoyable about standing out in the cold looking for an eagle you know as Mm -hmm. you know i wanted to talk to them about that like you know like what made you drive here from wherever you're from because you're you know more likely you're not local like you know, I don't know. I mean, if you just take that approach to things, you're you're gonna you know. right. And the and the surveys that that have been done show that by and large, people, even non hunters, are not anti hunting. If anything, most of them are on the fence, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's awesome, yeah. Ryan, taking that Teetering. opportunity. If somebody if somebody takes the time to ask a question, whether whether it be at a boat ramp or a gas station or running into a fast food restaurant, and says, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" I think that's a great opportunity to say, hey, we're duck hunting. You want to come see some of our duck decoys or you want to see yeah, some of the birds we shot? Do you have any questions about it? You know, and just kind of having that open discourse may be able to sway a lot of people into our favor because we all know what we're doing is not wrong, right? It's it's inherently the right thing to do. Yeah. So um, I think that's awesome. I think more people need to take the time and effort to do that and not have, like you guys said, not have that FU attitude towards mm-hmm. people that uh we don't even know for sure if they are anti-hunters now you get into social media and i don't have a whole lot of respect yeah. for anybody that attacks somebody on social media regardless of what your standpoint is yeah. you know that's just a that's not a productive way it's, to go about being a human being but it's yeah. hard it's such a it's such a terrible form of discourse and there's no accountability and half the time you don't no one knows who you are or something it, it just sucks in that respect and when you get face to face with people no matter how much you differ on most people, no matter how much you differ on anything, you can usually come to some form of at least understanding or a common ground. For sure. So, yeah. And even if they don't agree with you, at least they understand maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. at least yeah. you can take the time to explain to them why it, some why you're so passionate about, you know, something. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just that in itself is, is pretty valuable, I think, to people just to, to see, you know, to be able to connect with another person and to understand why things are happening. So yeah. I have a, it's um, funny. It's funny. You guys are telling all these stories. I have a friend um, at the pizza farm that on Sunday night, we stayed up late having beers and he's a vegan of four years. And as he got kind of drunk, he started calling me out for duck hunting a little bit and we get along. Mm-hmm. We're friends. Right. So I started to argue back with them, but then I like calmed yeah. it down and I proceeded to explain to him like why I do this. And then I brought him in the house. I started showing him photos. I showed him my lanyard full of bands. I explained to him what bands are and, and why I'm excited to get them. I showed him, you know, a speckle belly band from the Northwest territories. And, and I explained banding programs to him and showed him photos and then, and all that kind of stuff. And, and we talked for a long time. Granted, we were a little buzzed up too, but by the end of it, he goes, <laughs> well, man, do you think it would work that you could take me hunting this fall? And he's like I say, been a vegan for four years, and now he's still like. Really, what it come down to is his big beef was like large scale, you know, uh, factory farming and that. And I know that's a whole subject mm-hmm. in itself that I won't get into. But 
at least that night he wants to go hunting and he's totally cool with trying uh duck and turkey now yeah well that's cool that's pretty impressive oh, yeah. he, had, he had no idea but, our level of passion. a lot of a lot of he the had, vegan thing is simply because of the treatment of animals on those and i I mean, not, you're not going to find many people who, who disagree with that, who think it's right. Um, but when you, you know, when you get to think that these animals live basically a normal life and then have essentially a fairly painless death compared to what it will be. That, on that normal terms. I, I think in our argument, that was the one, two things turned this guy. One was my level of education about the bird. Just like Ryan was saying, he was like, holy shit. You know, here I thought I was respecting the animal, but this guy respects him way more than I do. And then, mm-hmm. and then, um, uh, the the other the other point too. Well, I guess it was just it was basically the the passion well, is I'm in just his, being a live, live a, a regular life is. I mean, oh yeah, I, I'm sorry that that was the other point. I said, do you know how else this duck is probably going to die, or this deer is going to die? You know, like it's not going to be good no matter what. Yeah. And yeah. they're part of a it's part of a process. I mean, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to exclude myself from that process simply because I have the ability to think whether it's right or not. I don't think that makes us any better or worse than another animal and it pulls us away from that process. So Yeah. What you know, Ooh. one thing about that concerns me is like how do you go through life without eating medium rare steak? oh man chicken wing it would be tough to not have any meat at all Uh, i mean there's if you had good pasta i guess i could probably come close to that but man it's like these guys getting these tick-borne illnesses and having an aversion to red meat after that buddy oh yeah that doesn't make you so down with permethrin i don't know what will (laughs) (laughs) texas thing right that texas tick or it's whatever it's called. Yeah, Lone in Star. Texas, not, yeah, Lone Star. That's it. Uh, that would be the worst. Yeah. That, if you, uh, what, I mean, how would you, how could you even duck hunt or even or big game hunt? Like, I mean, you only could give your meat away. Uh, that would mm. suck. That would be miserable. It's making me hungry thinking huh. about it. <laughs> well, let's kind of uh, transition a little bit. Um, we, I didn't, None of this really we even thought we'd talk about at all, which I'm kind of glad worked out pretty cool. But um, we had a little plan of talking about doing something kind of fun and just saying um, that if you were a new duck hunter and you were given a $1,000 and you wanted to duck hunt and you want, you had a $1,000 budget, how would you go about setting yourself up? And I think um, you know, we kind of have some thoughts and on that and it shows I think each of our uh, preferences in terms of what's important. Um, so I know I, sp- I wrote a little bit down I think the other guys probably did more prep than I did on this. I had got stuck with a bunch of work stuff the last few days and haven't even hardly thought about it. But um, so basically what we're going to do is just say, say you're kind of a semi outdoorsy guy. You've got some basic clothing, um, maybe a teeny bit of hunting experience, but you basically inherited your uh, grandpa's 870 and you decide that you want to go duck hunting. You have $1,000 to spend on gear. How would you, how would you allocate those funds to different, to all the different gear that you have? 
Should we go? Should we go round robin on individual parts of it, Phil, or do you want each guy to kind of break it down? You know, I think we can just talk. Let's just talk yeah. about it, and we're just going to we'll all just chip in and chime in, and maybe we'll have to somehow keep a come to a uh, come to an agreement on what what's important, how much we'd spend on it, and then we can just tally that up and go from there. I have a feeling we're yeah, all sure. going to be pretty similar in terms of level of importance of stuff. And for the most part, I was going under the assumption that we could buy, even though these were my rules, that we could buy used items, but I kind of got overridden that we have to stay with new items. Uh, I'm going to make the exception. Too many rules. Too many rules. rules. (laughs) We'll stay with new items, except for a a boat. You can get a used boat. That's my one one thing I'm going to say. All right. So, Bill, you go ahead and throw something out there. What's your first, where's your first check written to? Oh man, this is tough. I don't think I did as much work as, as I should have. Um, but right away I started thinking about decoys was where right. my mind went first. And of course the goose hunter in me, um, thinks silhouettes. And that's when I text you that one day, I'm like duck hunting, goose hunting. And you said duck hunting. So I thought, all right. Um, with decoys, I feel like you can get a lot done with two dozen. So why don't I just start by saying that? I feel like two dozen decoys is kind of the number. What do you guys and uh, uh, flo- floaters? I got two dozen. I got two dozen mallard floaters. Mm-hmm. Four floaters, and then if you're in a spot, I made an exception. If you're in a spot where there's um, a specifically large amount of other ducks, like widgeons or teal or divers, like. Then you could have one dozen. I would probably buy one dozen other kind of specialty. I'm going to throw some decoys. pintail floaters in there because I think those yeah. can kind of cover that whole spectrum. Yep. You got a little white on them. Uh, yep. Pintails love pintails. If you're hunting divers, okay. I've had success with them decoying to the white on the pintail decoys. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think if you got two dozen mallards, maybe six pintails, I think you're you're sitting pretty. I'd go with that. Man, we're mm-hmm. close. <laughs> and then. And then as far as quality on those decoys go, I'll just sum it up with a good mid-grade decoy. Um, mm-hmm. Bill, maybe you can tell me more. I mean, what is a dozen mid-grade decoys? Uh, I'd say uh, you can probably get, I don't know, 60, That's 70 bucks. 60 bucks is, you know, I, with, my de- I with my decoys on mine, I, I mean, I kind of looked up and around the different brands and, you know, for just a standard decoy, like it's going to be 60 bucks. Yeah. Per dozen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I have, I have 120 written down for my mallards and then you probably throw another 50 for your pintails. And I feel like I'd have to have goose floaters too, just because. Oh man. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, I'd, I'd want a four pack of goose floaters. Nothing wrong with killing geese, boys. You kind of talk down on it, but there's nothing wrong with killing geese. <laughs> I love shooting geese. I love, I love I, shooting I love geese. Shooting <laughs> geese. <laughs> about it just isn't, it just isn't the primary suspect every time I don't yeah. set up for them. But you know as well as I do, if they're around. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm having a stupid goose call in their mouth. So, so what's, a, what's a four, four goose floaters? Probably like 75 bucks. Mm, yeah, I suppose you're close. I think a dozen's like two hundred some usually, two to three. So that puts us at about. Oh, geez, that jumped up quick. We're at two. <laughs> Welcome to duck hunting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit. Five. 
265. Well, this is why I was going with Mr. Used decoys. But <laughs> yeah, but you have that. Used decoys are hard to find. Good. No, they are not. You're not on, you need to go on Facebook more. They're all over yeah. the place. All right. Yeah. Never mind. Like, literally everywhere. <clears throat> okay. So what? I, I, I turned to decoys first. That was the very first thing I wrote down. So sounds like Shooting Time Podcast says two dozen yep. mallard floaters, six pennies, or another duck, but pintails. I like that yep. idea. And four four goose floaters or six? Four goose floaters. Okay. Do four. Because you you're probably having limited uh, resources and abilities to carry all this stuff. So. Sure. So and goose floaters are a son of a bitch to carry. Yeah. No, I looked at this like I think you guys are like cutting yourself short on like on the kind of hunt you're going to be able to do because I went with two and a half dozen mallard floaters, a half dozen pintail floaters, then I went with three dozen goose floaters. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like be- that. because you know it, what if you guys get, what if that. what if you guys get the opportunity to. You know, and Farmer Frank, hunt. Farmer Frank's field. You know, two houses down, go kill some geese. You just gonna throw your four goose floaters out there? I've done it. I did it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Well, so we took. <laughs> so you took a different route. Yeah. So I saved. I saved my silhouette money, and I use it for something else later on that helps me use my floaters better later. Yeah. No, so, I, I like that, Ryan. So what did you say? You said three dozen? Yeah, so I got three dozen. So I got it to where you can go, you know, you know, get you a little walk-in duck hole. Or, you know, in hindsight, you can also go goose Yeah, hunting. set up for geese. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good at that. So I'll, I'll go listen. If, if we're running a tight budget here, what about decoy rigs? You just going to throw them out in the marsh? I put... <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, in that scenario, God, like I never, I can't stand having, not having my decoy rigs done up well. But I think in this case, I would be, um, I would be looking for some pretty cheap stuff. Yeah. I, considering you're just going. I put 50 Even bucks though, for wine and like little mushroom weight, just whatever's the cheapest thing to do, you know? Okay. I think so I put, you know, if I've got, if I'm looking at a thousand dollars, I think I'm going old school and finding some railroad ties or tying some nuts and mm-hmm. bolts together. With Look, that's not, I would agree. That's because you're, 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 you're running out of money real quick already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can spend a lot of money on decoy rigs. Holy shit. Oh, they're super expensive. Oh, absolutely. They're nice, they're nice but yeah. Lead got expensive somewhere in the last 15 years. All right, so we had two hundred sixty-five bucks with no silhouettes. How much are we gonna spend per dozen on silhouettes? Fifty. I put um, um, sixty bucks a do- um, sixty bucks a dozen. So I had a, I was at a. Let's go two dozen. Yeah, two dozen. You can make it work. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Let's do two dozen. So one hundred twenty. So that's two hundred. That's three hundred eighty bucks. Right, just on decoys. Okay, but that's a big one. We got out of the way. So decoys are forty percent importance on our scale of a thousand dollars all right i'm gonna I'm jump in here before we spend too okay. much more money let's <laughs> let's get a gas budget going here for the season oh, oh. gas is gonna be gas is gonna be off the, yeah yeah that's okay separate. okay yeah. that, <laughs> we wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to buy shit if you were gonna <laughs> include it i spend more than a thousand dollars a year on gas <laughs> so. i just i'm thinking back to my my high school days oh and uh it was real nice going and looking in the sporting goods store but if i wanted to go hunt 
hunting that weekend, I better not buy any decoys because I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have gas money to get my truck out there. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I bet I spend it. Gas is ridiculous. Gary, you drive all over the country back and forth. So you spend, I mean, that's terrible. So that's we're, we're excluding gas. Gas okay. is excluded. Yeah. Like I say, you know, my duck club's, you know, 30 to anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes away. And, and, you know, and usually I don't stay down there. So I, you know, I'm driving back and forth every day. Man, I'll tell you, it gets, you know, gas is a, no, it does big gas time. is a big expense. So, all right. So we got $380 in decoys. All right. Next, What's next? the next thing I thought, you know, you're going to have to have a pair of waiters. Yep. 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 And you got it. And I put for $200, you know, I don't, you know, you can. Yeah. Find a pair of red I mean, balls or uh, like the best, or you know. Something you can get that's just going to yeah, get you through. You're going to get a, a mid-grade pair of waders. You can probably find some for 200 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. I agree. You could probably find them cheaper, but I, I, I think that's one item that I would not skimp on too much. Yes, yeah. exactly. 200 is going to be the bare minimum for that. Okay. So we're 580 I had 200 bucks listed as my waders too. It's funny yeah. that we're all right the same. All right. We're over half. Yep. Do we have shotgun shells already? Um, we didn't. I've got shells listed. I didn't really know how to put. I put. I just put twenty five bucks down for two boxes. Yep. I put fifteen dollars um, to get you going. Yeah, I put fifteen dollars down for one box because I can sure remember when I was first starting out and you know and didn't have anything. You know, the, the amount of shells that I had was was not really important because we didn't really kill all that much. So yeah, you didn't shoot a lot. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, true. If you're just starting off, yeah. probably unlikely that you're going to go out and, well, shoot a ton. Also, if you've done it a long time, it's probably you're not going to shoot a ton because you're a better shot. So yeah. let's say 50 bucks should get you through a, a few hunts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so we're at 630. I okay. put a, um, also, you know, I'll jump in. Like, I love mine. And like I say, and I kind of looked at this as being like a little walk in hunter, you know. Yep. Um, in a little low field, but I put a marsh seat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, those things th- that can help you out a lot. So then I spent, I agree. You know, I don't know what they cost. I didn't look, but I figured 40 bucks to get you one. 40. Yeah. I would put that. I would personally, I would put that towards the, like if I have money left over fund. Yeah. yeah I got a, sorry, Ryan, I got to agree with Phil on that one. I've spent a lot of times kneeling in the mud and for a beginner hunter, you're just going to kneel in the mud. True. But we'll keep we'll keep it on the list of, of possibilities. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's going to get soaked up here in I, a big purchase. I, I agree with Ryan. I agree with Ryan. Uh, <laughs> we got when you're, like said, when you're six six three hundred, you're, you're probably man kneeling. Yeah. <laughs> we had to do that a couple years ago on a hunt, and uh, buddy, I couldn't walk right for two weeks. Good grief! Yeah. <laughs> I'd put I'd also put a decoy sled up there with the with the stool now, i do like sleds i'm gonna i'm gonna let's jump ahead to this one we're all we'll come back to those ones yeah. but we all know we're gonna need duck calls yeah i think you can i think you can get by for 50 bucks you buy a polycarb power hunter and a polycarb uh rich and tone j frame or quackhead or something or a DR85, 50 bucks you're going to get out of the duck and goose call game, would you say? Yep, that's what I put. I put $20 for like a DR85 and like $30 for just a poly goose call. Yeah, and the land, $2 land here and you're 50 bucks. All right. Yep. So we're at a six, 680 right oh, now. Oh, shit. Good grief. No. 
but but we have almost all my big things checked off. I've only I don't the only thing I have that we're over budget. Well, I guess I could get it. My next and only thing that's left is some form of a boat. Mm-hmm. What you- so I put a small canoe that I'm always looking on Craigslist for this kind of stuff for Facebook. And it seems like you could find a small canoe for around 300 if you look long enough, which could also function as a mar seat and yeah. could also also function as a decoy sled. There you go. Yeah, I think you're looking at, you know, if you're hunting a lot of big marshes and stuff, I think you could get a canoe. And I think if you're walking in to pockets and stuff like that, you're going to need a marsh seed and a decoy sled. You know, yeah. you're one or the other, right? Yeah. You got to take a different route. Whichever one you're doing, you're going to plan on doing the most. Yeah. I feel like the canoe opens up way more options in terms of what you can hunt. Because if you. But you need a decoy. But you can get a decoy bag for twenty bucks if you want to just get something cheap. I just looked at it as like a canoe and all that is, is being a little bit more advanced in in the hunting. You know, just starting out, I'd think like, yeah, you're just kind of getting permission to, to a little, some water backed up in the field, or so so. Yeah, but around here though, I mean, just think of all the stuff like around here, the, all these little sloughs that we have, like that's the most basic. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I think it's regional. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I you know, so around it, here, I would agree with Ryan, you know, I think, I yeah, think a sled and some waders is going to open up more ground than a canoe would, but yeah, up yeah, where you, you are for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, so we'll split them up. So if you're, if you're in a, a pothole ridden area, a canoe for 300 bucks gets you basically breaks the bank at right at 980. And then you could still find yourself a cheap marsh seat and be everybody's happy. And I think I know where the, the the perfect thing to spend the last twenty dollars on, in my opinion. What's that? You know, I love my orange gloves. Oh, <laughs> you know, yes, my crabbing gloves. My orange crabbing gloves. You know, I mean, they're they're a part of me. They're an extension of my hands. Yeah. Right? Yep. And like I said, fifteen bucks. You know, twenty bucks. You're, you're going to get to me. You're going to get the best glove out there. I would, that's a good one. Cause that will just make your experience that much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Another, like if you got a little bit of money left over for me, I love, um, what are you, like the, the muffs, you know, oh, and, 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 and then putting hand warmers inside that. Cause if you're calling a lot and stuff, you know, of course most waterfallers hate gloves. Mm-hmm. So a muff with hand warmers in it. Yeah, it's like a twenty-five dollar. See, now you're getting into the the things that you've learned after you've done your first yeah. few hunts, and you learn how much it sucks to call with gloves on, and how much it yeah. sucks to call without gloves on when it's cold. As soon as I shut my boat so motor get, off, I throw my gloves off, and I'm not putting them back on until I'm back out in the boat. <laughs> yeah, God, I hate them. Yeah, I do too. they're the worst. I mean, I I bring five pairs with me, but I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, that's why I bring because I need like I need them to be perfect for everything I'm doing, or I can't stand it. So. Yeah. You know. And there isn't really a single perfect pair of gloves that I've come to four pairs across yet. Four pairs is the perfect pair. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I could go with that, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well I think we I think we kind of covered everything that the guy would really need. Yeah. That would- a lot of the other stuff is you know, I was looking at I was putting the gear list today for some uh guy that takes photos for us and getting them all set up with stuff and and I was kind of like kind of jive 
that list that I was making for them with this list. And I'm thinking like, man, there's a lot of stuff that we use that you definitely don't have to have. Cause one thing I, I was going to put, but I didn't was a blind bag. Yeah. See, I was yeah, who doesn't have a, who doesn't have a backpack laying around their house? Yeah, that's yeah, what I was like, you, know, you could, you could sub in a backpack if you had to. Yep. You're but exactly like, right. You know, if you were, if someone, if someone told you, um, you can go hunting tomorrow, but you can't use your blind bag. You'd, probably be like half lost, right? I just thought of one we forgot, and maybe this goes on the you already have it list, but headlamp. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 You need a headlamp. Yeah, you got to have a good light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, headlamp would be one. You can get them for 15 bucks now. Yeah. But it's funny so you said that about one. the bag, though, because I had a blind bag on mine initially, but I took it off there because I thought, you know, if I didn't have a blind bag, then that gum, I'll go get a couple Walmart bags. Right, yeah, yeah. You have, you <laughs> yeah. something that can yeah. get you by at least. Okay, I'll go with that. It would be tough for a while, and I wouldn't know where my pop tarts were stored at every time. But I would get by. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't know where I'd my. I'd have to dig around a little bit. I wouldn't know where my. I'd have to dig around, but we'd figure it out. Yep. Cool. Well, heck, we got some. We got a pretty healthy little time frame going here already, so I think we could. Wrap it on unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about. No, or? I don't. But I will say doing this made me realize, like, you know, and I don't regret one dime of it, but, man, just how much money that I spend and how much I've spent in the last 25, 30 years <laughs> oh, playing this dude. game. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and there's so much more I want. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. Like and Just in boats, what I have is ridiculous. <laughs> and, then, and then you take – I mean, there's people who have boats and they have UTVs and 16 foot trailers, and then they buy a $60,000 truck to pull that trailer, and it goes quick. It goes real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Decoys. I mean, decoys are almost aren't even expensive when it when you start thinking about some of the other stuff that you invest in to do some of this. So, mm-hmm. duck camps and leases and gas money and all that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, I'd say every yeah, like year, said, though, that, you know, gas is more so than anything, like, you know, the, the biggest expense. Mm-hmm. It's for me, too, yeah. unless you make, like, I happen to make a kind of a, you know, one-off big purchase. But, yeah, that thing, gas is nasty. But just like a yearly, in the problem, like a yearly expense, though. I mean, that's just not – that you can't get around it. You know? Well, yeah, it's yeah, not like all of people – yeah, they they probably budget well. You know, if I'm not going duck hunting, I'm driving somewhere. But you don't realize how much extra you drive being a waterfowl hunter. You know, mm-hmm. going to scout, going to driving to different mm-hmm. boat ramps to put in so you can cover the whole marsh. You know, back and forth taking a couple trips a year. It it really adds up. Uh, it's a lot more That's than you'd spend idea. if you were just going to golf every weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even and, I mean, day day to day hunting is expensive. Trips is expensive. I mean, it's the biggest part of like. It's almost always the most expensive part of a of any like regular trip, unless you got to stay in like a fancy hotel or something. But yeah, it's crazy, and it's kind of that's what sucks about it is it limits you because it's one of those things that the more you drive, the more you pay. Um, versus like just to hunt on its own doesn't necessarily cost you any money every time, but that stupid gas bill is always there and it always accumulates and it just kind of sucks. So I think it keeps yeah. you from doing something. And stuff you know, and that. what's where, um, for the part of the world that I live in, you know, in, in Southwest Kentucky, like, you know, if you take like a, a hundred yard radius or not a hundred yard radius, uh, just, just say a 50 to 60 mile radius up to a hundred yard radius, 
of where my I'm at, you know, I mean, there's six states there, you know, so, you know, local hunting to us is, you know, just our club, you know, we got stuff in Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, um, you know, then, you know, the, within that hundred yard radius is, you know, you got, you know, Northeast Arkansas, Southern Illinois. So, you know, I mean, I spend a, a shit ton of money every year just on hunting licenses, mm-hmm. you know, just for, yeah. just for our local hunting, you know, the minimum I'll get is, you know, I've got, when I left Illinois, I bought a lifetime license. So I don't have to buy that again, but every year I buy Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, Missouri, um, Arkansas, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yep. That goes to a good cause though. Yeah, oh, it does. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm exactly, I mean, I don't have, you know, believe me, I actually, I bought them all today. Um, you know, and that's always one of those things. I love spending that money, it but, adds just, up. but it is an expense. It is, yeah. Yep. So. Especially if you start hunting in other states, like you said, a few year, two years ago, I think I hunted like seven different states for waterfall, and that's a ton of money in licenses right there. Yeah, it is. Racks up quick. Yeah. Well, cool. Yep. Let's um, so. shut this thing down, and we will uh, be thankful we don't have to rebuy all of our new stuff again and that we can use what we got and have at it and we get to use it in here in a couple of weeks for some of us. So Bill, Bill, my only assignment for you is to go find some sweet corn fields, please. I'll do my you best. Probably can't hear yeah. yeah. We want no field. All right. We're breaking up. Let's shut her down, Canada's but don't hit. I'm going to hit. <laughs> All right. Yep. Done. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Good deal. I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna yeah, shut this thing down. We will uh Me too. We... Stop recording, you guys. Thanks for listening.